friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. Conversations with Consequences is part of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our radio show is always a podcast, and you can listen by going to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. It's February. Hard to imagine that it was only a year ago that the world looked so different. All our panoramas were different. All our expectations were different. But there's been a revolution in our lives. And here we are in 2021, the beginning of February, still looking at a very strange world. I hate that phrase, the new normal. I'm not even going to use it. I know I just did. Today, uh, we have a great show lined up for you, kicking off with Catherine Jean Lopez, a good friend of the show's. She's also editor-at-large for the National Review Online. We're going to talk to her about this new year, the impact of COVID. Uh, she has lot, lots of great reflections, the way we are all handling this pandemic and the way it's affecting our families and affecting our places of worship. And then we are going to visit with Father Mike Schmitz, and he's the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries in the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota. He's somewhat of a rock star with his podcast and his online homilies. He's reaching audiences of all ages, and he's part of Focus's Seek 2021 conference. He's going to be telling us all about that and more. But first, welcome back to the show, Catherine. Oh, I'm so happy to be on, Gracie. Thank you so much to, for asking. Well, you're very kind to lend us your time. Again, you're a very, very very busy woman. You're preternaturally busy, I, I might say, because you're everywhere all the time. And then I read your wonderful pieces. They seem to appear with such frequency and they're wonderful. So thank you for always being there for us, Catherine, and giving us such a such a wonderful view from your not only your fertile mind, but your kind and, and your kind and generous mind. That's always, I know, very connected to God, to the spiritual. Well, thanks be to God for, for platforms and for I, I really think people are really hungry. I don't think I know people are really hungry right now. So I kind of feel like people who have platforms to do some good with have to try. So that's, that's why I keep doing these little virtual events and things, because if they can be of any help to people, then uh, I certainly want to do that. Yeah, so lately I've been at two of your virtual events. One of them you held right before the March, what the virtual March for Life, and you had a virtual lunch. Usually the National Review has a, a really the, wonderful... The National Review Institute, yeah, we have a lunch, a private lunch every every the day before the March for Life and, you know, take advantage of some of the people from, like you, from around the country who happen to all be in D.C. at the same time, you know. Yeah, and it's fascinating because you do get a nice 360 degree view of the, the pro-life movement and all the different efforts that are being made in different places and also the different focuses that have to be made in any in any movement which has such a this ambitious agenda, right, which is pro-life, all the different ways that we can enhance right. the understanding of human dignity and protect the vulnerable, but there's so many ways we can do that. Yeah, yeah, and to always, you know, be in touch with all the frontline resources if you're, you're, um, you know, maybe more of a policymaker or commentator type, you know. Um, also, I always, as you know, in recent years, I've frequently made adoption a focus, so mm -hmm. some of the adoption organizations are there too. Yeah, to, to just remind remind one another that, as you said, there, there are all these different facets working in 
in conjunction and it really a sense of what the pro-life movement really is you know which the heart of it is people walking with women you know it's not political and but it always looks political because obviously politics has to be a part of it right the law the law is um a huge part of this obviously mm-hmm. but if people could could see the the works of mercy at work the beatitudes at work uh people really walking with women i think they would have a different relationship to this heavy topic that is all-encompassing really i really really truly believe that we wouldn't have all of the chaos and all of the violence in so many facets of our culture if if we hadn't dehumanized the unborn child and really changed changed everything in, in many regards anyone who thinks that they don't this issue doesn't have anything to do with them i i think i think are mistaken because i this affects us all whether or not we ourselves have been directly involved in our abortion well you know one way that it affects us all and and i i hope i think that many people are feeling it right now is the dehumanizing of certain parts of our population like the unborn also leads to the ability to dehumanize other parts of our population like the elderly uh, people who live in nursing homes people say well children who are unwanted it should be okay to to eliminate them well there's a lot of older people and sick people who are unwanted so we start to have that same throwaway mentality with other people who we've protected from things like abortion and elimination but how long can we protect them especially in this time when we see that the resources are so scant like in this time of pandemic like who should be getting these life-saving vaccines who should be getting the PPE the the protective gear who should and then we start to say we start to measure one person's the value of one person's life against another's and and that starts i think very strongly in a country that has legalized abortion and internalized abortion as something moral and ethical yeah i think you're absolutely right and i think that you know we got news last week that there's double the the amount of people we we initially thought who were who died in nursing homes in new york state because of a governor's order right Mm -hmm. and do do i think that Andrew Cuomo consciously thought, okay, you know, it's okay if these people die. No, but it is logically consistent with his ideology. He expanded abortion two years ago in the state. Expanded. Like, who, who the heck needs more abortion in the, the abortion capital of the country? It's easy to see how he he wouldn't, you know, necessarily go through the, the the steps of what might happen because, yeah, he had already gotten to the point where some lives don't matter as much and more lives don't matter as much, you know. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Gracie. Another connection that I've been drawing in my head is the connection between the the very, the way that we, we see children as not as blessings but as burdens, right? Uncarryable burdens by many people that, many women that, oh, they should abort because she can't carry that kind of burden and she can't give it off to someone else. And then there's, we have that feeling about people, about young people, and then we end up with the inverted pyramid for our demography, right? The demographic inverted pyramid. And as as we go on in the decades, we end up with all these older people who have no one to care for them right. because they're natural, they're natural people that would have cared for them naturally. Their children don't exist. And so right. where are we going with that? Like how, how can we stop seeing children in a society that welcomes children as a tremendous blessing in so many ways, economic and spiritual and moral and healthy and decent. Well, and I think this goes back to uh, the questions that the pandemic posed. What's most important, right? You, you've got so many people who have 
killed themselves or thought about killing themselves. You have loneliness is such an issue. And I'm not saying that necessarily having kids is the solution to loneliness or the, or suicide, but there, there's something wrong, right? There's something wrong in our, our world today where the option when things things got to a shutdown point last year, you're in an apartment alone. Why don't we we have communities that care for one another um, in, in those circumstances? Obviously, you know, I live in New York City. Most, most of the people, you know, think of New York City as the place to go, leave home. And, you know, maybe that's not all that. It is my home. It is where I grew up as, as it happens. So bizarrely, I knew nothing, nothing normal. I only know New York City. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, but I see what you mean. You're saying exactly. like the fraying, the fraying of those of those natural ties, which create exactly. the basic community for us, which is the family and how right. little we have spent building that, fostering that and calling it beautiful. Right. Like we always we glorify right. the the autonomous individual who goes and does what he or she wants to the nth degree. And maybe in the end, that's not what can make us happy as human beings and and it takes something like a pandemic to really lay it out for us and and put it in stark relief but the terrifying thing to me is i don't know that we're learning those lessons you desire to go back to normal i don't think we should go back to normal you know there are some really important lessons here and you know as you were talking about earlier there's this contempt that people have for for one another it's really dangerous and i do think it goes back to fundamental dehumanizations and you know mary Stat has written about this, the fraying of, of the family and and, and um, the auto- autonomous individual, is, as you were talking about, Gracie, it, it makes it so that the holy family, that's like foreign to so many people. Oh, you're so right, um, Catherine. And so how do we communicate Christianity to people who don't even have an experience of the family and, you know, have lived in a culture where the child isn't necessarily valued as it should? It really poses some serious challenges. And I, you know, I think it's obviously a big, huge, complicated mess. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, we, our responsibility is living virtuous lives and and loving one another, right? Mm -hmm. And so building these relationships and having encounters that where people can see who we truly are and who who we're about, right? If they can, they can have an encounter with Jesus Christ in meeting you, you know, I think that's, that's all the difference. And to be able to share what, what you you know from uh, the truth of the faith, the gift of the faith, and from your experiences with it. I think you know the, there's been in, in recent years, in, in particular, in, in increasingly intensified way this sense that you know if I just have the candidate who has the right boxes checked you know that's winning I don't know that that's winning and I, I didn't know it when when um, when pro-lifers were in power and I, I I don't know now I don't think that's the way to go obviously you want the laws to reflect the truth you know and we're increasingly going in the direction of that not being the case increasingly but what are people seeing of us and what are they learning from us by the way we we witness to the truth and i i think that's that's the thing we have to value the most and prioritize the most if we put all our eggs in the political basket we're gonna all be in trouble you know how can we fill that need that you you mentioned that people are hungry i feel it very strongly too how can we feel that need if we're not allowed 
to congregate. <laughs> if we're yeah, not, if we're down. locked down, if if the mass, you know, our expressions of worship that are so important to us that how we that's how we build community uh, as a church. We we come together and we you know my husband Catherine very well and okay. and I I spoke I speak about him a lot on the show. He's a convert. I think a, a huge part of his delight in Catholicism is the community. The sense that mm-hmm. when he walks into a church, he's part of a family that accepts and loves him and embraces him. And then no matter where he is all over the world, he, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. repeats that experience. And it's Every so time charming. Jesus in the tabernacle, you're home. You're home. Exactly. Yeah. He's home. He's he's part of the body of Christ. And he feels it very strongly. And he feels that connection to the other members of the body. How do we maintain that in this terrible time? And, and how do we keep telling the people who who control us, <laughs> who control our movements. It's safe to go to Mass. It's good to go to Mass. It's essential to have it, our worship preserved. It is essential. And um, and I did an event, as you know, on the National Review Institute and the Heritage Foundation a few days ago, making the point that religion is, is essential. And we had an ecumenical gathering, including a rabbi who I was gushing over because I was so grateful to him because his case with the Brooklyn Archdiocese went to the Supreme Court mm. when um, Andrew Cuomo was uh, had these red zones and he was telling I think he was telling um, houses of worship that they could only have ten people so you have like the, the cathedral in Brooklyn which can hold thousands right they can only have ten people and Bishop DiMarzio said that's stupid and he went to court he won because of the the Supreme Court anyway but you know our experience last year was wrong we didn't you know I think initially. We didn't know what we were dealing with, so mm-hmm. for the church, it seemed temporary. It seemed like a temporary measure. Exactly, exactly. And and I think we were being good citizens doing that um, voluntarily. You know, eliminating the obligation. And and thanks be to God for priests who I know, for instance, Saint Joseph's in, in New York City. I'll I'll pick on the Dominicans or celebrate the Dominicans rather. You know, they couldn't have people at mass. They were told they couldn't have people at mass. But they had their doors open, and they had adoration, and they had confessions, and they were doing it safely. So they did everything that they could could uh, legally do, so to speak, within the, the archdiocesan roles. And I, I know a lot of places where, where that was the case. I know of no known cases of people having get, got, gotten COVID that way. Yeah, no, it went on too long. Um, and I'm grateful to the, the efforts of, of some medical doctors at, at high-ranking universities who worked with churches to uh, to figure out what how we can do this safely we should never have a shutdown of, of masses again I, I I remember saying at one point you know if we were I'm thinking of somebody like Walter Chizik or you know somebody who who was in prison Maximilian Colby or you know if we were in that situation you know I know God would be present to me and you know but that was not the situation we were mm-hmm. dealing with there was a way to get people to mass safely and and I don't say this to you know judge anyone or anything i mean we all have this experience i think the important thing now is for people to come together and ecumenically and make clear that look we're, as long as this is one of my bottom lines as long as the supermarkets and the liquor stores are open the churches are going to be open but you know they would never think of closing the grocery stores and so why are we closing the churches because yes we have physical needs but we have spiritual needs too you know particularly for catholics i think this this is this is um, an awesome time to really renew our conviction in the truth of the real presence 
If we believe that Jesus Christ is truly present at Mass, how on earth can we stay away? And again, if there's, if it really truly is necessary, but um, I went to Mass today, it was totally safe. One of the experiences I've had over the last year is when there was a shutdown and we couldn't go to Mass or confession, I used to say it was sort of just, it wasn't a throwaway line, but it was it was sort of like an act of gratitude. I would, I would say that I don't think I could live without confession. And oh my goodness, it's kind of true. It was very, very difficult. And the consecration at Mass, I just had this, I have this renewed appreciation for it, gratitude for it, because it's like, you know, I can't tell you just today how many things I witnessed in New York City or experienced just sort of walking to Mass and walking back. Mm-hmm. I need to give that all back to God or it's going to be so overwhelming. It includes like walking past the Planned Parenthood and, and seeing so many cries from like the depths of hell. And my point is that there's so much evil going on. We need to be present at Mass and we need more Masses, not less. And I think we who cannot perform the Mass ourselves, we who are not the priests, um, first of all, we need to let the priests know how much we appreciate them and need them. The, Absolutely. The priesthood yeah. is very not appreciated right now. And it needs to be because the vast overwhelming majority of priests I know are wonderful men who are faithful. You know, they're human beings who need encouragement and gratitude. And I don't, my experience, I know it's similar. Writers don't hear from people unless the people are mad. That's true. <laughs> do not hear from people unless the people are mad. You know, I'm sure it's the case in so many walks of life. You know, doctors don't hear from anyone unless, you know, there's, that's for sure you know, we really need to um encourage one another more and i think in particular about about the eucharist when if we can do it safely which we can volunteering getting a group of people to do holy hours things are getting worse not better and i think it might be a reflection of the fact that we're not praying as we ought i remember years ago i think it might have been the first year of his pontificate maybe the second Pope Francis had this like seven hour prayer vigil for peace in Syria. It was when the, the height of ISIS mm-hmm. and everything. And then, or it was just a, before the height of ISIS. And then basically all hell broke loose in, in that region. And I thought, oh my goodness, because we didn't do what he told us to. I didn't see a lot of seven hour prayer vigils, you know. I didn't even hear like petitions for the persecuted in, in so many masses. That has changed, I think, a little bit, but probably has fallen off again now with the pandemic. Yeah, no, I I think that we really have to make known um, how essential our faith is. We ha- I happen to be in a very active parish. We have outdoor, I'm in Florida, I'm in Miami, so we have outdoor adoration 15 hours a day, and there's always... Wow. Yeah, you have to come down and visit, Catherine. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, you have an open invitation. So we have outdoor adoration, and, and it's quite crowded. Lots That's of people, beautiful. we have two daily masses, lots of the crap, the masses are packed, the daily masses are packed. People go from the mass to the adoration, and they'll stay, and, and it's so lovely to watch. Uh, oh, but so but you know what worries me? Yeah, there there are also a lot of people who, because they were given the uh, dispensation from the archdiocese, from the archbishop, um, they and the, the dispensation hasn't been lifted, even though the the, the mass is uh, safe. They're not coming to mass, and they've they've given up that habit. And I'm worried that if we don't, if we if the church, if we as a church don't keep 
you know, there's part. So some of us are begging for more masses. Other ones are saying, well, if it's it wasn't necessary, it maybe was never really necessary. We could pray at home, and I'm I'm afraid right. of losing those people. What do you think? Do you think that? What do you think we can do to recapture them and bring them back to mass? I think there should be a huge campaign, both official and uh, person to person, to invite people back to church. I, you know, I understand el- there are some elderly and other vulnerable people who the obligation should still be lifted for, but we also we want people to want to be there you know I am really heartened to see the people who are back you know mm-hmm. sometimes I go to a church that, that is kind of crowded and I'm like wow you know um, these people don't have to be here and especially when they're young people it kind of excites me but I think a lot of this is invitation and and really sharing the joy you know share why you go i think somebody like your husband is a you know a great evangelist for that because because he has just such a joy and a peace when when he's there and i think sometimes we underestimate what you know reaching out to somebody and and making that offer might do and i know too i don't give up either you know if somebody makes clear that they don't want that invitation again that well that's one thing but um <laughs> but i i can think in my my own life you know i've had people who there was one friend of mine i you know it was heartbreaking how much he was not taking up my offer and um of course he's catholic now and, and uh he he wouldn't miss mass on sunday and, and he was really no no you, you make a wonderful point we, we can't ever underestimate the power of that personal appeal of, of heart to heart the heart to heart right that says yeah i'm thinking of you I'm thinking of of your needs of of how right. I, how could you how could you be happier and more flourishing and more connected to God. And I don't know how I could live without this. So of course I want to share this with you. You know, I really don't. And again, we see it these news stories about there was some I, I have to look back. I'm terrible with the numbers, but there was a, a story about the number of young people who had thought about how they would kill themselves in the month of June. It was an extraordinary number. Oh my know, gosh, just Catherine, Catherine, I don't know that many young people and I, since last, since a year ago, I've known three young people that have tried to commit suicide. Mm. And I don't know that many, so I'm sure anecdotally most people are having the same experience. I mean, I, we have to have the same experience because suicide attempt rates are through the roof, especially for the young. Right, right, right. And I, I don't know how I could have gotten through this last year without faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have to share this with people because obviously they're not surviving without it, you know? You know it's yeah, you're right. It's crazy. a lifesaver. It's exactly it. It's, it assen- is, it it's is. essential like food and, and warmth and shelter. And it, it makes sense that we have all these identity crises in, in our culture when, you know, we only, we only truly knew who we are once we know God. And obviously knowing God is the journey of our lifetime but if we don't even know to make time for him and I I do think I think we underestimate how much people don't know about the Catholic faith you know even going back to what we were initially talking about I was so grateful to Archbishop Gomez for that invitational kind of note he sent to Joe Biden I love that letter he wrote I love it I mean he he told the truth I honestly don't think and I think this is increasingly the case. I don't know that people know what the Catholic Church teaches 
about abortion. I don't know. The, the people know what the Catholic Church teaches on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of assume that everyone's read the catechism twice. Exactly. <laughs> and most Catholics haven't read the catechism once. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know we have to tell the truth, but we do it in a welcoming way. You know, I mean, Archbishop Gomez said, this is what we believe. You know, we want to work with you. Um, and that's the way we, we have to be with everyone. And obviously, you know, and Gomez didn't do this. He didn't start with abortion. You know, he, he started with congratulations, you know, mm-hmm. and he even complimented, you know, the fact that he he very clearly, you know, takes his faith seriously in, in some, you know, regards in his life. That's a beautiful thing, right? And so we want to we wanna work together where we can, you know. We, we both like St. Francis of Assisi, you know, maybe mm-hmm. we can start there, you know. And I think that's how we have to be with people. And just, yeah, I don't think we can assume that, that everyone knows the fullness of the truth. And, and the fact remains that, like, John Paul II's theology of the body has not been tried and rejected, you know. It's, <laughs> it's still, not been, um, what is it? How's that line? It has not been found uh, difficult. It's been found difficult and left untried. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Um, I mean, most people have no idea what it is, right? And I, I'm not suggesting we can hit people over the head with the theology of the body. But if we can start sharing some of that in accessible ways, not everyone's going to go to Christopher West Camp on theology of the body, but how, how can we, we share, you know, I thought during the, when the Me Too movement started, oh my goodness, this is the, the perfect moment to, you know, embrace people with humanity vitae, like really, really start to understand what this human life is about and what sexuality is about. And it's all so much healthier than the way that the, the world handles it, mm-hmm. you know? Oh my goodness. And, and even, sorry to go back to abortion again, but just earlier today, I, w- I was praying the rosary outside of a Planned Parenthood clinic, which I try to do. The things I saw, you know, I mean, one one woman, girl, I mean, most of them are girls, literally was saying F off to her boyfriend as as she went in. And other Aww. scenarios, there's fighting, there's crying, there's, this is not women's empowerment. Yeah, you know? these, are, these are little individual tragedies. Exactly. Each Every one is a tragedy. Each one is a great tragedy. It's really amazing to me, you know, how long does it take to pray the rosary? 20 minutes or less? You see so much, you know, just when when you're doing that. And it's it's all miserable, you know? I mean, I just, I just sometimes I cry, you know, seeing, seeing all these girls and 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 sometimes i actually recently got trained as a sidewalk counselor if i can ever help you know but i was watching a a young focus missionary who had a sisters of life brochure which you know talks about the alternatives and and i saw with at least two girls you know there's not a lot of time as she's walking into the, the clinic and two of them kind of perked up like oh my goodness this is the first thought that, that she had that, that this could be done um she could she could actually have this baby but sadly there just wasn't a lot of time but in two two of those cases too the she then looked at the boyfriend and the boyfriend made clear that that was not being considered oh, and, you know um, Catherine, you've inspired me i'm gonna go pray <laughs> i'm gonna go pray in front of the local plant parenthood because it is it's something i've done periodically when when the, the archdiocese has organized it, but it mm-hmm. it really is a beautiful thing to do. I'm sorry, but we're out of time. Oh, oh, oh. Well, it's such a joy to talk with you, Gracie. It always is. And Aww. I'll be praying for your listeners later on today. Thank you, Catherine, for all your work.
work. You, you're really um, holding things together for so many of us. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. And for the rest of the show, my colleague and good friend at the Catholic Association, Maureen Ferguson, is joining me. We are very happy and very blessed to have Father Mike Schmitz with us. He's the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries in the Diocese of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, you don't have to be in Duluth, Minnesota to have heard of Father Mike Schmitz. Many, many people know him from his online homilies, his books. Just last year, he wrote a book called How to Make Great Decisions. What a wonderful title and thought. His podcast, which is very popular at the Ferguson household, Maureen was telling me, super popular podcast with all her kids. And he's also speaking at the Seek conference this year. We want to talk to him about all those facets of his character and of his work. We thank him very much for being here. Thank you, Father Schmidt. Absolutely. Thank you for hosting me. Father, I know you, you know, our time isn't endless and we want to talk to you about a lot of things, but <laughs> I really enjoyed, I've, I have the, a copy of your book, How to Make Great Decisions, and I was leafing through it. I'm going to hand it to at least four of my children. <laughs> When I'm done with it. That's great. Um, and there are three questions that you suggested we ask ourselves, and they really rang uh, true for me, and they make a lot of sense. Am I in a state of grace? Am I performing my daily duties? And did I pray today? How did you come to focus um, making great decisions on these three particular questions? I think that's a really great question because I, I can't remember. I think what it was was uh, a matter of kind of just doing some of the, the logic of the spiritual life and that logic of the spiritual life being, okay, primarily by our baptism, by virtue of our baptism, we're brought into, we have, we, we receive God's sanctifying grace. And so we're brought into a unique relationship with the Lord as made into his sons and daughters and living in covenantal relationship with him. I mean, this big, these big fancy theological words, which I know you get, and sure, I'm sure your listeners will understand as well. But that sense of like, okay, wait, so I've been brought into this new kind of relationship with God, but I also it's possible for me to wound or break that relationship, uh, to severely mortally damage that relationship by uh, mortal sin. And so the first question I need to ask is, okay, is that is that relationship intact or have I mortally wounded, wounded it? And if so, I need to get in a state of grace. So I need to go to confession. Um, the second piece being, um, I also know that so many of the saints have talked about, and great spiritual writers have talked about the key for holiness is not uh, doing miracles. The key of holiness is not doing incredible penances or, or, or great works. The key of holiness is, am I doing God's will? And so the next question would be, am I doing my daily duties? Because where do we find our daily duties? Well, or where, sorry, where do we find God's will? We find God's will in doing um, the, the kind of ordinary things that we've committed to, that our vocation demands of us, or that our, those people we're responsible for have asked of us, or asked of us, or that we've committed to. So that second piece being like, okay, am I doing that? Am I on a basic level just doing God's will for my day to day? And then thirdly, you know, especially when it comes to um, the reality that God continues to speak with us, He's in. If we're in communion with Him, right, in covenantal relationship with Him, and we're striving after holiness, uh, if He wants me to turn to the left or turn to the right, or stop or slow down or keep moving forward then I need to be intentionally listening to his voice. Um, yes, of course, he can speak to us, regardless, even if we're trying not to listen. He can do that, but it would make the most sense that we would be listening, and that means praying. And so they, it kind of seemed like these are the these really three key but incredibly simple and necessary things that we need to be doing if we're 
going to be uh, pursuing holiness and being the people that God has created and redeemed us to be. Father Mike, it's such an incredible treat for us to have you on. I first heard about you from my teenage children who used to come home from their high school <laughs> youth group, and they would say, Mom, you got to see a video of Father Mike's on all kinds of topics. So at the beginning of the new year, they told me about your podcast, and so we've been yeah. listening to your new podcast. Sometimes we do it during dinner, sometimes after dinner, and your new podcast is Topping the Charts even the secular yeah. church, which is unbelievable. And we would love to know, what was your inspiration in creating the Bible in a Year podcast? Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Is it too late to get in on it if you didn't start at the new year? And one of the questions my kids have for you, because they were incredulous that we were going to be able to have you on our show today, <laughs> they want to know, does your voice get tired reading the whole Bible to us? <laughs> That is awesome. Um, well, thank you. First, uh, that it's, yeah, I, we did not anticipate, I did not anticipate that it would, uh, the response would be what it has been. And I'm so grateful for it. I had, um, like most people, you know, over the course of the last year, you know, starting last February, March, where, um, I, not even starting last February, March, what, here's what I say. I find myself taking in most of my information through my ears. Like, um, I love reading, but I also, I'll fall asleep because I'm an old, becoming older and older and um, tireder and tireder as the days go on. And so I love reading, but I have to listen in order to get stuff, you know, or else I just fall asleep. I need to like walk and listen to a book or walk and listen to a podcast or drive and listen to something. And you can't afford to fall asleep then. So um, I thought, well, I take in so many voices um, throughout the course of the day, throughout the course of like just at all times. And I found myself not only taking in all these voices, and some of these voices were like wise people, I think, that I look up to and I really appreciate their insight. I found myself still getting distracted by those voices and still getting distressed by those voices. Um, even if they had wise things to say, I didn't always find that they um, had the view of the worldview of Christ and, the, and the, the, that mind of Christ that, that St. Paul implores us to, to take up. Up, you know, change, be transformed by the, uh, have our thoughts, have our thoughts be renewed, right, by by Christ. Um, so I thought, you know, when I encounter God's word, when I hear the Bible, because I have, like, you know, I bought a New Testament dramatized version, so I listen to that, and I think when I walked away from that, I always had the sense of, okay, this is true, this is good, this is beautiful, and I'm not distracted and I'm not distressed. And I thought it would be incredible to be able to go through the whole Bible, like from start to finish. Uh, and let people just press play and let it kind of just shape their minds and shape their their worldview and shape their heart. Um, and so I proposed it to Ascension and said, "Would you? what do you think about doing this podcast? And they were really excited because apparently years ago, someone had the idea, but they didn't know who to ask or when they were going to do it. And so I said, well, how about now? And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be me, but I would love to. Um, and so that that started the, the ball rolling. The last two things I just want to offer is this is kind of a unique podcast or a unique Bible in a year because there's a ton of go through the Bible in 365 days out there. I mean, that's when we first did it. I said, just, hey, let's download one of those templates and follow that. And they said, well, you know, we also published this thing called the Great Adventure Bible Timeline created by Jeff Cavins. Why don't we base our template or our, the way we proceed throughout the course of the year off of that. So we have the, the narrative books that tell the coherent story from the very beginning to the very end, and then we can situate those other books in their context, right? So it was just it's such a, it was brilliant, and um, a bunch of the people at Ascension, they crafted it, they created it, and they put it in the right, in the right places, and that, that's been such a gift. 
Um, lastly, you asked that, what if people haven't started yet? Is it too late? Absolutely not, because if you've ever listened to one of the, even one of the episodes, you note that I don't say, today is, you know, February 23rd. I say, today is day 30. Um, and so that means that even if you miss a day, miss a week, if you, even if you start at the beginning of April or even at the end of the year, your day one is your day one. And your, if you even you know, skipped it for a month, okay, your day 45 is day 45. And I, I love that because it means that even if you fail at being perfect, which I think all of us do, you don't have to quit. You just, okay, now this is my new day 45, that's today. And that's another thing is like hearing all of the stories and not just kind of the, the stories we heard when we were kids or even from the lectionary, we get to hear like, wow, this is a messier story than mm-hmm. I, I seem to have picked up over the course of these years. Indeed, Father, and not always G-rated. We discovered we had to pause oh, yeah, one time with our 10-year-old also at the table. We did have to pause one of the episodes. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but, but truly, the mm-hmm. Old Testament has always been so difficult for me to decipher. So it is so helpful the way you put things into context. And, you know, I'm curious, what what is your target audience? Because you, of course, are so dedicated to youth ministry, but I have gotten so much out of this. So did you plan this as part of your youth ministry or is this sort of for everybody? Maybe I should have thought of that. I didn't. I thought, I know people, I don't care how old they are. When I was, um, so we, we put on a junior high retreat every year or junior high camp every year. And every year we invite the junior high students from sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I say, read your Bible every day, 10 minutes a day. That's it. Just, you know, just, and it can, it'll change your life. And I have a nephew who like took up that challenge. He started reading the Bible every day, at least 10 minutes a day without fail for the next, probably, I want to say five, four or five years. And <laughs> So it's, but then you get lost, right? So here he is as a, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grader reading the Bible and being like, okay, so I guess I kind of read the story about so and so. I don't know what to make sense of it. But I also know people who are far older than me who are saying, like, I just don't know the Bible. Like, I feel like I should. I'm 60 years old and I'd be going to Mass, but I don't know the Bible. And I've tried reading it and tried reading it and I can't get through it. And then everyone in between. And so my thought was if you make this as easy as possible, meaning it's at most, I think there might be a couple episodes that up pushed like the 30 minute mark because there's some longer readings and like, oh, there's more complex stuff going on, but make it easy as possible. So kind of short. Secondly, all you have to do is press play and listen. And then thirdly, you have some kind of guidance. And that's what I think hopefully you're alluding to is like that sense of like someone at the end is going to say, okay, here's what you just heard. Here's one way we can make sense out of it. I'm not, I'm not claiming that I know uh, here. I, I always get a little distracted or bothered when people say, what Jesus meant here was this. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's exact all that he meant. I think one of the things Jesus could have meant was this, but uh, I, I don't necessarily like claiming this is what this means and it only means this. So I just try to provide a little bit of guidance at the end of every episode to just kind of once again remind us, here's where we're at. Here's what just happened. Here's what it might mean. Hmm. Father Mike, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind doing a quick little lightning round of questions with me because I, as I said, my kids were so excited to hear that you were coming on our show. And I asked them, what questions do you think I should ask Father Mike? <laughs> one, one of them even checked with a few of her friends to say, what questions should my mom ask? So here are some of their questions. Who is your confirmation saint and why? Yep, my confirmation saint is St. Francis Xavier. Ah. And when I chose 
he chose him. I had read a bunch about him, and I loved two things. Two things stuck out in particular. One is that I had read that he was a track star at the University of Paris before his big conversion. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a track star. I don't know. It doesn't have to be Paris, but <laughs> I want to be a track star. And the second is because he's the patron saint of missionaries. And ever since I was in high school, I wanted to be a missionary. And uh, so those are the, those are the two main reasons why I chose Francis Xavier. Okay, great. So next question, what's your favorite part of being a priest? Um, that is, that's a really good question. And, um, ultimate, oh gosh, yeah, it's such a hard question to answer though. So because, many favorite parts. Um, there are so many favorite parts. Yeah. Not because it's hard because there's no favorite parts. No, it's, it's hard because it's, 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 if I were to say one, I would think, but also this other thing. So for example, I would say, you know, offering up the mass is, um, it's, it's the greatest honor I think anyone could ever be asked to do uh, at the same time meeting people in the second reconciliation and uh, extending to them the reconciliation and restoration of Jesus Christ is what an incredible honor and humbling thing to do also being able to teach people about the Lord and just like let that be like this is the whole sum of your life is being able to 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 do that is like how much greater is that and then I mean I even love things like marriage prep uh, just I get to be mm-hmm. in these these young couples lives in a in a critical critical moment and um, try to offer uh, some kind of guidance and some kind of uh, help that will hopefully get them on the right trajectory for the rest of their lives and for their kids lives and grandkids and just like this what a privileged place mm-hmm. so there's too many things to say there's one okay well those are all um so beautiful um okay next how do you encourage your friends in the faith without being preachy or annoying good question i think that um well from the hip here i would say it all depends on uh what kind of relationship you have with your friends and uh, one of the things that i find is that i originally or initially in especially in high school i just went there and, and like just talking about here's what i think is true and here's what i think is right and here's what i believe about god and kind of stuff and, and i wouldn't have asked them for permission and i think that one of the things that we get when it comes to i think we, we, we as catholics might get a little too gun shy when it comes to sharing our faith but i think that might be because if we get it in our hearts to start sharing our faith we do it without again asking the permission of the people that we want to share it with uh, and so then when someone does act ask us like hey what do you believe and or or I'm going through this really rough time and how do you make sense of this? That we're so gun shy about like, well, I need to dance around this. I'm not willing to like really, really share the truth of what I believe and the goodness of what I believe that we then even water that down. I've seen so many people, even priests, religious bishops, who when they get asked the direct question of like, why Jesus have, it seems like they've been so gun shy about like just saying, because he is who he says he is, because he is truly God and he has died for our sins and he's risen from the dead because we often I think, uh, start by sharing our faith with people who have not yet given us permission to have that kind of conversation with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, you have to have that. The hearts have to be open to each other, right? Before you can you can offer that that beautiful treasure. Yeah, and there's and there's a there's a level of respect I think that I had to learn in the sense of like I thought, of course I'm respecting you. I'm telling you, I I don't really respect you. I love you. That's why I'm telling you this uh, this truth about you know the faith and. But someone could say, yeah, but I never, like, asked you to, or I never gave you permission to, and so now what it's, yeah, I, I, this quote, a friend said once, um, unasked for advice is always criticism. I thought, oh, Hmm. that's, 
Oh, I, whether that's, that's true good. or not is one thing, but it feels like it. <laughs> and that's advice is always good. No, I'm just trying to help you. Like, well, uh, I haven't yet looked for help from you, so maybe wait until I look for help. I know, you that? Yeah. So. Well, that was that was I great advice, Father, through. and we asked for it, so it's not criticism. <laughs> <There> it <is>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Father, we only have about a minute and a half left, but I we don't want you to go without talking about the fact that you will be sharing your message uh, this year at the Focus Seek 2021 conference, uh, where there will be many young yes. adults. I'm actually not sure if it's going to be in person or virtual. I'm assuming virtual because of everything that's going on. So. Yeah, normally, normally the C conference, I think the last time we had it two years ago, um, had roughly like 13, 15,000, somewhere in there. Uh, in person, it was amazing, mm -hmm. incredible. Uh, this year, because of COVID, um, there is this mix. So the mix is we have 22,000 people registered so far. It's the largest ever focus event. Um, with not just college students participating, but also parishes participating, because normally this is for college students, or at least specifically sponsored by the uh, Fellowship of Catholic University Students, which is a college evangelistic uh, ministry, so good discipleship ministry. Um, because it's online, uh, people are saying, like, if you have a group in your parish, be part of this, tune in. So what we're doing is, for our campus, we are going to a location. So we're going we're gonna to be in person with each other. Uh, we're keeping all the distancing and all those kinds of regulations in, intact. But we're going away. So we're putting on this retreat for our local community and a number of parishes, a number of campuses are doing the same thing. Um, while the talks and the other events are being streamed from various locations. So as an example, I'll be giving one of the talks on Saturday night. And so I'll be with our students and they're going to stream that talk from where, from where we are to the rest of the sites around the country, around the world. Um, and so if someone's interested, it's really incredible. Um, there's a worldwide prayer vigil on Saturday, February 6th, uh, and there'll be thousands of people coming together asking God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for healing today's culture of death, for our church, uh, evangelization. And if you're interested, you can go to seek.focus.org uh, because, yeah, any anyone or any group of people can still participate. You can still register to be part of this. It starts Thursday night, it's Friday night, and then all day Saturday and Sunday morning. Oh, that sounds fabulous, Father, and I'm glad that you have been able to uh, be so um, inventive and, and make it happen, uh, even even oh, with all the all so the challenges. Excited. Well, thank you, Father. It's yeah. been wonderful yeah. to have you. At, 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 you're a wonderful voice in, in these dark times. I, I can see that you're having a tremendous impact, and, and we'll pray for success at the at the SEEK conference. And for more information on Father Schmidt's work, you can check out bulldogcatholic.org. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us this Sunday, when we'll have a chance to examine the beginnings of Jesus' public ministry and get a glimpse at an ordinary day in his life. Jesus' priorities can help us examine our own, both with regard to how we're receiving his work in our life, as well as how we're continuing his work. Jesus began the day by preaching for a long time in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which, as any priest will tell you after a Sunday morning, must have been somewhat exhausting all-day work, since people would return home normally only at sunset. So he went to Simon's house with Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and as soon as he arrived, he healed Simon's mother-in-law. Then, after sundown, when they could travel, 
the people of Capernaum brought to Jesus all who were ill or possessed by demons. St. Mark tells us that the whole town was gathered at the door. Jesus cured the sick and cast out the demons. It was very likely grueling work because in no part of the gospel did Jesus ever do general healing services, but cured the ill or the possessed one by one so that he could establish a personal relationship with each grateful recipient and hopefully bring them from a physical cure to a far more important spiritual one. It was probably close to midnight by the time he finished. He arose the next morning very early before dawn and went to a deserted place to pray. St. Mark tells us that Simon Peter and his companions hunted for Jesus, and when they found him, said, everyone's looking for you. Without question, the hordes had brought many others of among the sick and the possessed from all the surrounding regions to Jesus, and were hoping for a sequel for what they had witnessed the night before. Everyone is looking for you. We might have expected that Jesus' response would have been one of jubilation. After all, he would later say, Come to me, all you are weary and are carrying burdens, and I'll refresh you. He wanted people coming to him with their burdens. He wanted to give them refreshment. But Jesus, when told that everyone was looking for him, didn't respond by saying, Alleluia. Rather, he said, much to their surprise, Let us go on to the nearby villages so that I may preach there also. For this purpose I have come. Jesus had come to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. He probably realized in prayer that morning how urgent the task was for him to accomplish the mission the Father had given him. He probably grasped as well that the people were coming to him not so much because they wanted what he wanted to give them, but to obtain from him what they themselves wanted. The crowds were looking at him as a wonder worker, as a powerful exorcist, and as an un unbelievably effective and shockingly free physician. But Jesus had a different set of priorities than the crowds. He wanted them to accept him on his, on his terms, not theirs. He wanted them to come to him not principally as the doctor of their mortal bodies, but as the savior of their immortal souls. Jesus' priorities get us to focus first on ours with regard to him. Do we hunger for what he wants to give us or for what we want him to give us? Do we seek to accord our priorities with his or his with ours? It's still common today that many people, like those in today's gospel, come to the Lord mostly as a miracle worker, as a benefactor who can pull strings to get them out of a jam, as a powerful friend who can provide a quick fix to a problem we're facing. Jesus, however, wants more. As he said in the gospel, the reason he came from heaven to earth was to proclaim the message of the kingdom and to proclaim it in such a way that it won't fall on deaf ears, that it won't be ignored, but embraced, followed, and lived with joy. He wants us to respond to his proclamation of the kingdom with the same type of life-changing faith that we see in Mary and the apostles. That's his priority. Many of us, let's be honest, might believe that Jesus has his priorities mixed up. After all, imagine how full our churches would be if Jesus, through parish priests or through one of the parishioners, was working tremendous healings and miracles. The dramatic exorcisms would bring national international media attention. All those with cancer or paralysis or back pain or emotional scars would come to church and leave completely healed. Probably would also bring some of the criminals and drug dealers who, in seeing this incredibly divine power working through human instruments, might be brought to conversion. But that's not the way Jesus chooses to do it. Instead, he fundamentally sends priests ordained in his person in the church with them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. From Jesus' own divine perspective, the greatest gift he can give any of us, whether we're ill or suffering or healthy, is his holy word. He wants us most to listen to his preaching, to embrace his word, and in consuming the word made flesh in the Eucharist, to become so one with the word that we become living commentaries of his life in the kingdom. Doing so, he's not ignoring all our ills and problems, but trying to address them at their root. 
All of these sufferings and difficulties are symptoms of the same essential cancer, the cancer of sin. Physical pain comes as a result of the first sin of our parents at the fall. Our emotional pain and many of our illnesses come from the wounds that our sin and others have caused. Jesus isn't ducking any of those difficulties, but in his divine omniscience is trying to lead us to what is the cure for them all. We see Jesus' priorities at work in the lives of his first apostles. The first time Jesus sent them out, he gave them instructions to preach that the kingdom is among them and then to cure. In the time of the early church, the apostles recognized that because their first duty was prayer in the ministry of the word, imitating Jesus' prayer and his proclamation of the kingdom in today's gospel. Since they no longer had time for other good works of charity, which are too essential ever to be neglected, they ordained seven deacons. St. Paul even gave up baptizing, which others could do, so that he could travel more to preach. He said, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. You may be surprised to discover that the fathers of the Second Vatican Council in their document on the priesthood said that it is the first duty of priests to preach the gospel of God to all men. Preaching is a more important duty than even the celebration of the sacraments because our practice of the sacraments is dependent upon having our faith in them aroused. Each of us has a great lesson to learn in this. God wants more from us than just to pray, as Jesus did early in the morning. He wants more from us than merely to care for those who are ill, loving them and trying to help them according to our capacities, just like Jesus did according to his divine capacities. He also wants us, having heard the saving words of the gospel, to spread them, to bring this good news of salvation to others. Pope Francis asked in his beautiful exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel, if we've received the love that restores meaning to our lives, how can we fail to share that love with others? What kind of love would not feel the need to speak of the beloved, to point him out, to make him known? Because we are convinced of the difference Jesus makes, we must evangelize. We must go to those who haven't heard or embraced this proclamation of the kingdom and propose it to them. 2,000 years ago, at the end of the day and the life that we observe in the Sunday scene in the Gospel, Jesus left those who were seeking him in order to go to other villages to preach the Gospel of the Kingdom. After his ascension, he changed his method of operation. He no longer leaves to go to other neighborhoods or cities, but instead stays in the tabernacle and wants to send us, like he sent his first followers, to the other villages. He does this not so that he can have a well-earned eternal vacation, but because he loves us. And he realizes that the greatest gift he could give any of us is the vocation to share in his mission of the proclamation of the kingdom for the salvation of the world. For this reason, he said he came. For this reason, he created us. And so as we prepare to enter into a day of Jesus' life, let us allow him to enter into every day of ours by praying with him, by caring for others with him, by hearing his word, and by becoming proclaimers of that same great gift. God bless you all. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com, and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy, and you go with our prayers. 